Or if you have your Bibles, I feel ready to get right into the message, so I think I'll be able to remember, but I have just a couple of brief announcements at the end of the service to tell you about that we'll save for then to remind us about different things that are going on. But I am ready to get into this text in Matthew chapter 24. We've been bouncing back and forth between Matthew chapter 24 and Genesis chapter 6 and considering the subject as in the days of Noah. I'll say a couple of brief words in way of review. This has been a three-week preaching series that we will finish up here today, and it's so good to see everyone here today. We hit summertime, and for various reasons, people for travel or whatever reasons are in and out, but it's just so good to see a few of you who've been gone for a couple of weeks. Good to be in the house of the Lord. We rejoice for what He's doing here in our church family. We love Him, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to serve Him, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to try and serve you who are here, and I love you with all of my heart, and I appreciate you. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples come to Jesus in the beginning of the chapter, and they ask him three questions. When shall these things be? Meaning, when will the temple be torn down, as Jesus had just prophesied? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And as we said, Jesus did not choose to give the date of 70 AD, which is when the temple would be thrown down, but he instead talked a lot about the end times events that would coincide with his coming and with the end of the world. We believe that in 70 AD, there was some types of end time type prophecies that happened, and it was a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy coming true that the temple would be overthrown but we do not believe in preterism. We do not believe that all of the prophecies of the end time events were fulfilled in 70 AD. For it just cannot be that Jesus, all of the specific things that he and other places in the Bible had prophesied about were fulfilled then. For if all of those end time prophecies of Jesus could be explained away as being allegorical or as being a type or an illustration, then any other passage of scripture or any other doctrine, I'm afraid, could be explained away in the exact same way. Jesus said he will come for his church. Jesus said he will literally bodily come to the earth and rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, at the conclusion of which there will be a final judgment. The heaven and the earth will pass away. When he first returns to earth, there will be a gathering of the nations. The sheep will be separated from the goats, those who do not know the Lord will be cast into hell and those who are saved will enter into the kingdom of God. And all of those things did not happen in 70 AD. So Jesus focuses on on these questions. And as we come down to verse number 35, as I said before, we're not going through every verse and every possibility and teaching of Matthew 24, though we could do that someday as a preaching series. We've been focusing on the thought that Jesus said that in the days in which he comes, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the son of man be. And I forgot, but I'm going to catch up because I'm in the middle of my presentation here. Uh, we're up on this point right now. And we looked at Genesis and then looked at Matthew and we compared what it was like in the days of Noah and considered that Jesus said it will be a lot like that in the day that he comes. And in the day that those events that kick off the end of the world 
start occurring. And definitely we can look at our day and age and compare and see that our society today has a lot in common with the society of Noah and we should be looking with earnest expectation that Jesus Christ will return at any moment whenever it is the plan of the Father. We said, first of all, in the days of Noah, there were evil imaginations. Genesis 6, 11 through 13, the thoughts of the, the and intents of their heart were only wicked continually, and God decided it was time to bring judgment. We read from Romans chapter 1 that when people see God and know Him as God, yet choose to glorify Him not as God, the Scripture says they become vain in their imaginations. Vain means foolish or morally corrupt, and imagination has to do with your considerings, with your ponderings, what you're thinking about in your mind and your heart. And God says when people see revealed light from God through creation and any other means, yet they choose to reject it, their imaginations will become vain. They will become foolish. And professing themselves to be wise, they will become fools. We also considered in the days of Noah, there was a limit to God's long suffering. In second Peter chapter three, God is long suffering. God is patient. God is merciful. He is waiting, but we should not confuse the fact that he is merciful and he is patient and he is long suffering with the fact that he will execute judgment. His limit his long-suffering does not mean there is not a limit to his long-suffering. And Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 and a couple other places throughout his epistles, and he says, Christ will come again. Judgment will come. And if you have any doubt about that, remember something. And he points to the illustration of the flood. And he says, remember that God spared not the angels. He spared not the old world, but he did spare Noah. And keep in mind the fact that God knows how to do two things, how to deliver the godly from times of temptation, but also how to reserve the unjust to the days of punishment. And God is waiting now for the final judgment. God is patient. God is long-suffering. But remember, there is a limit to that long-suffering. Remember that judgment day will come. Number three, we consider that in the days of Noah, there was an unsuspecting crowd. Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the Bible tells us, I have that reference wrong, it's Genesis chapter 5, verse 6, I think. The Bible tells us that in the days of Noah, God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, but rather there was a mist that came up from the ground and watered the earth. And that's where we kind of concluded the message last week. And I'm sorry for confusing it. It's Genesis 2, 5, and 6. If anyone wanted to note that verse to look it up later, there had never been rain, yet Noah spent over a century building an ark and telling people, you need to get in the ark, God is coming, the rain is coming, you need to escape the judgment. And we believe in that day he was mocked, he was scoffed. And in our day as well, we're telling people that judgment is coming, that Christ is coming, that eternity is coming, when they have never yet seen firsthand or experienced any of those things. And God has called us to be a preacher of righteousness in a day and age where there is a crowd that is unsuspecting that there will be any interruption to this day-to-day -day life that American society is consumed with, with getting money, with having our entertainment, with planning our future. Those things are not wrong, but our hope and our focus 
are not to be on those things, on the making of money, on our entertainment, on our future, without remembering. Jesus said there will be an end to this present age. The end of time will come. Judgment day will come. And I should be living my day-to-day life with remembering that I should have the earnest expectation that this is temporal, that this earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but his word will not pass away. Therefore, Paul says we live with our focus, not on the things which we can see, for they are temporary, but with our focus on the things we cannot see, for they are eternal. Let's get moving on the text here this morning and cover ground that we haven't yet covered. Matthew chapter 24, and we'll continue in verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you look, do you see, do you understand the point that Jesus is making here? That just like in the days of Noah, they were going about their everyday life. They were getting married. They were making plans. And they knew not until the flood came, until it took them all away, until that moment when the skies opened and the rain began to fall and the water level started to rise, they did not know, they did not believe it was coming. They were totally unsuspecting that the judgment was about to come. And Jesus said that in the days that he comes, it will be just like that. Society will have a warning. They will have voices that are telling them, get ready, Jesus is coming. But when he actually comes, they will not be ready, for they have not taken it seriously. Verse 40, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. So I said in this series, I wanted to try and not get too much off into the weeds and away from the main points of looking at the days of Noah and comparing them to our day and the day that Jesus will come. But we'll do a little bit of that right now as we consider the meaning of these scriptures. I have always looked at these scriptures and considered that most likely it's talking about the rapture when he's talking about there being two people going about their day-to-day life, some in the field, some grinding at the mill, some doing whatever the task of the day is, and then one of them will be taken and the other one will be left behind. It is important to note that there is sort of what I would call a reverse rapture that is sometimes described in the text of the scripture. So let me back up for just a second. There are, are, are several different beliefs when it comes to the end time prophecies and how that the timeline will work itself out. And I've always used that as one of my first illustrations when I've said there are many different beliefs about the Bible where we can have a different opinion, but still love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if someone comes in and says, Jesus wasn't really God, he actually sinned. And there's many ways that we can get to heaven. And Jesus is just one of them. That is a person that according to the clear teachings of the word of God, we should still love them for we love everyone, but we would separate ourselves from them and saying you are teaching doctrine that according to the clear teaching of the word of God 
is heresy. It's a damnable heresy. If people believe what you are teaching, if the church is infected with what you are teaching, people can literally die and spend eternity in the lake of fire because we did not reject that teaching and address it and say, no, that's different. But if someone believes the Bible, believe that, that Jesus is coming again, but they believe that the timeline is a little bit different, though that's, I view that person as my brother or sister in Christ that we may have a disagreement with, but I still love them. Because as you do study the end times deeper and get more granular, which again, someday we can do a series and just chase every rabbit and look at every single thing, it does get kind of convoluted and it does get a little bit confusing as to how exactly the word of God says that will lay out. Now, the Old Testament, it also could have been said the same thing about Jesus coming the first time to die for our sins. The Old Testament never once says the Messiah is going to come to earth, die for your sins, raise again, ascend back up to heaven, and then at a later, much future date, he will come to earth, take his throne, and rule and reign. It's all there. It's just not really spelled out. That's why the disciples, when Jesus was here, they kept asking him, well, are you ready to sit on your throne right now? Are you ready to set up the kingdom? For they had read Zechariah and Isaiah and Psalms and over and over again in the Old Testament text where it says the Messiah will rule and reign from Jerusalem and he will be king over all nations. But there also is Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and others that escape my mind as well, where it says that the soul of the Messiah will be made an offering for sins, that he would die for the sins of the people, and that through his death, peace could be made with God for the souls of the people. Therefore, if they looked hard enough, they would be able to say, this says his soul will not be left in hell. This is saying he's going to die. But then over here, it's also saying he's going to live forever and rule and reign forever. Therefore, he's going to die for sins. Then he's going to rise again. And then he's going to take the throne. But when Jesus was here, the author of the word of God, the lawgiver himself, it was then that he kept trying to get them to understand, right now I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to rise again after three days and three nights in the grave. Then I will ascend back up to my father, give you the gospel, and you will go be busy about the work of going into all the world and telling people Jesus is the only way to heaven. Repent, believe, and after you're saved, get baptized and become a disciple. That's your job. And don't worry about when I'm coming back. That's a secret that is only in the hands of the Father that you're not going to know. And he told them that over and over and over again. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he was about to ascend up to heaven, they asked him one more time, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again thy kingdom? They just couldn't get past the fact that they wanted him to set up the kingdom, defeat the Romans that were oppressing them, and fulfill all of those prophecies. And Jesus lovingly just said one more time, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father alone has in his hand, but ye shall be witnesses unto me after the Holy Ghost is given. So now we look forward again 
And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to differentiate what we would call the rapture and what we would call the final coming of Jesus to the earth to set up his kingdom. So the New Testament tells us in specifically linking to the book of Daniel that there will be a seven year period where the Antichrist will be revealed and known to the world. He will make peace with the world, with the Jews. He will rebuild the temple and allow them to set up the daily sacrifices that the Old Testament instructs them to do, but that they are not yet able to do because they don't have a temple right now. And then the New Testament, along with Jesus and the Old Testament, says that halfway through that seven-year period, the Antichrist will go into the temple. He will proclaim himself to be God. There will be some kind of trickery or miraculous event where an image of the beast will be given life and will come to life. And the Antichrist, which is sometimes called the beast, will tell all the world, you have to worship me and my image, and you have to receive a mark in your right hand or in your forehead. And if you do not fulfill these conditions, you will be put to death. You will be beheaded. You will not be allowed to go to the store and buy anything. And in days past, it might have been harder to imagine how that could have been put into place. But right now, it's not hard to imagine at all that we could go completely cashless and you would have to, just like you swipe a credit card, you would have to have a chip in your hand or in your forehead. And unless they can track you in their system, you can't buy or sell at the store. This is Bible. This is something that it's in the word of God. I believe it's going to happen. Then the Bible says, after that three and a half year period, where Jesus says in Matthew 24, that will be the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. He will come physically to the earth and with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth, he will defeat his enemies. The blood in the Valley of Armageddon will run high and his enemies will be defeated. He will separate the sheep from the goats and will set up his kingdom to rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. At the conclusion of the thousand years, the earth will, burnt, will be burnt up. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. The current heaven shall pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth that will meet together and it will be called the new Jerusalem. And the Bible says nothing defiling or mean or sinful will ever enter into that place. There already has something like that entered into the current heaven and that is Satan himself who sinned, who as Lucifer said, I will be as the most high. I want to be worshiped as God. And the Bible tells us that angels followed him and worshiped him and they were kicked out of heaven. Revelation, when it talks about the devil falling from heaven, it says he swept with his tail a third of the stars of heaven and caused them to fall. And over and over again in the Bible and in Revelation, angels are referred to as stars. Not literally that the stars we see in the skies are angels, but that they're called that in a figurative sense. So perhaps some consider that a third of the angels of heaven fell in the rebellion and went with Lucifer and were kicked out of heaven. And even in the book of Job, we see him going before the throne. We see him coming in and out as if it was something he normally does to do what? To be an accuser of the brethren, to say, Job doesn't really love you, God. You should let all of these things happen to him. If you've ever read the story, God says, hast thou considered my servant Job? And, and then this negotiation starts. And I just wonder if whenever Job got to heaven and read that part of the Bible, if he said, God, if you just could have not said anything, maybe you could have talked about somebody else and said, hast thou considered my servant, the other guy? 
But we get that picture that the devil entered into heaven. And even now, and even on judgment day, he will speak up. He will accuse us and point out our sins. But Jesus will be able to show God, the father, the judge will be able to show the blood of Christ has covered their record. There is no sin. His record is my record and he can enter into heaven. But in the new heaven and new earth, None of that will ever happen. So there's several basic views of the end times. Some, like I said, are the preterists who say all that stuff happened back in 70 AD. And we don't believe that 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 could be possible. There's other people who say, well, Jesus is going to come. He's going to rapture the church. And then that seven year period will start. That's my personal belief for a number of reasons. As the Antichrist is on the scene, as he sets up the pact with the Jews and all these events happen, I believe the church would be able to look and to track and to know exactly how long it is till Christ comes to the earth to set up his kingdom. And I believe that the Bible tells us that we will never know when that hour is. We won't know when that event is. We're supposed to be looking to the sky, knowing that Jesus will come for his church. Then there's another belief that says, well, Jesus is coming at halfway through the tribulation period. And then there's another one that says there's only one coming, and that's at the end of the seven-year period. I don't believe that for a number of reasons, but I do believe that just like we said, the Old Testament had prophecies of Jesus that were split into two without really specifically explaining it all in one place. I believe that the future coming of Jesus is split into two phases and is there in the scriptures. There's first Thessalonians chapter four, where Paul describes the coming of Jesus to rapture the church that is completely different from what is described when Jesus comes to the earth to set up his kingdom. Paul said, those of us which are alive and remain, they had the expectation that maybe even in their day, they would still be alive. And then he described that event that we would call the rapture, that Jesus will come in the clouds and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be caught up together with him to be in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that phrase caught up comes from a Greek word that I don't know how to say, but it's harpuzo or something like that. And it literally means a snatching away. Sometimes it has to do with someone stealing something. But Paul said there will come a day when those of us which are alive and remain shall be snatched away in a moment to be with the Lord and meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, at the end of the seven year period, he does come with the angels, but he comes in the clouds. And that times he come, he comes not for the church, but with the church and comes to the earth physically to set up his kingdom. Now, as I said, before the kingdom is set up, we see in Matthew 25 that Jesus said the sheep will be separated from the goats, meaning that those who are not saved will be separated from those who do know the Lord. And then that will be the beginning of the millennial kingdom population. And so my question is, if Jesus never comes for his church before that ending time, but yet he comes and we get snatched away to meet him in the clouds and then come right back down with him. How is there then a separation of the sheep and the goats? I don't see it as the same event. I see it split that before all of those things will happen, Christ is coming for his church and we are to be prepared for that day when he will come. Throughout the tribulation period, I believe the Bible says there will be many people who have not heard the gospel, who did not know the Lord, and they will be able to be saved during the tribulation period. There will be a lot of people saved out of that. 
I personally believe that if you have heard the gospel and you have hardened your heart and rejected Jesus, that you are not going to get saved during that seven-year period for you've already rejected him, hardened your heart, and then you'll be in a day and age where in order to be a Christian, you're going to have to be willing to get your head cut off and die for that. And if you're hardening your heart now, then I believe that you will be given over to be part of that great delusion that you will believe a lie, Thessalonians says, for you receive not the love of the truth that you might be saved. So therein is the answer how that there will be a group of people that are saved at the end of the tribulation period that are the sheep while the goats are separated, including the nation of Israel who will receive the Messiah and be saved near the end of it. And they will enter into the kingdom as saved people, but not yet with a glorified body that doesn't grow old, that doesn't die, and that doesn't sin. And a thousand years later, as they have generations of children, the devil will be loosed for a little season. And a thousand years later, there will be descendants of a world where everyone was saved to start with that reject God and literally try to come against his throne in Jerusalem to overthrow him. Another clear example of people do not reject God sometimes because they don't have enough light. They reject him because they receive the light and then they push him away. All of that is an overview. And if we wanted to go verse by verse on it, it would probably take about 25 weeks. And maybe we'll do that someday. But as I said today, I can point you to the scriptures to now try and dig into Matthew 24 and exactly what is being talked about. Um, okay, so here's what I'll, I'll show you this next verse up on the screen. Sometimes there is what you could basically call almost a reverse rapture, where instead of where what Paul described was the church getting separated and snatched away to go to the clouds, it will be those who do not know the Lord that will be snatched away to be separated, to sent off into judgment. Matthew 13, speaking here of Jesus coming to set up his kingdom physically to the earth, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. Here we see the angels going forth before the kingdom is set up and they are gathering out of his kingdom the things that offend. And if you look at all the scriptures around it, it's talking about the people that have rejected God, the separating of the sheep from the goats. So one time Paul says the Christians will be raptured. And another time he says before the kingdom, those who do not know the Lord, those who offend, they shall be gathered out and pulled away. Okay, if anybody's with me, if I'm getting too far off, we can talk about it later. You can buy me lunch and we'll get into it. So Matthew 24, as we're looking at our text, it's a little bit unclear to me, but I think it is possible that verse 40 and 41 could be referring to that end of the kingdom where people are working in the field. The one has known God, the one has not, and the one who has rejected God is getting snatched away by the angels as the kingdom is being separated. I sort of, in my opinion, think that Matthew 24 goes back and forth between talking about Jesus coming, the end of the world. And then when he looks to his disciples, I think he sort of does transition to talking about the rapture. So it is possible that that's what that is referring to. But in context, in the way that it flows, it, it is possible that he's talking about those things in his kingdom that don't know God being snatched away. So I'll just throw that out there. And then let's continue on a little bit more here. Um, 
verse 42 of Matthew 24, he's going to transition to talking to his disciples about watching, for they don't know the day or the hour in which Jesus is coming. Another thing that adds a little bit of confusion is that the phrase day and the phrase hour, it can mean either a literal day and a literal hour in the day, or it can be used figuratively to mean a certain time period or a certain grouping of time together. You might begin a, a fairy tale by saying in the day of, of dragons and heroes, and it would be talking about maybe not the specific day, but that time period. So some people look at this and say, Jesus is saying you don't know the time period in which I'm going to come. Others say you don't know the literal day and hour. And while both of them could fit in different ways, we will look at scriptures where when Jesus talks to his disciples, he uses phraseology that to me is very clear with, you don't know the exact day or the exact hour. It could be any time. So you need to be ready because I could come for you tomorrow at 12 or I could come for you three weeks from now at seven. You don't know the day or the hour that I'm coming. So be ready, be prepared. And what we're saying is that in the days of Noah, it was an unsuspecting crowd. And my belief is in the pre-tribulation rapture, either way, whether he's talking in some places about the general time period or about the exact day and hour of his coming, because I think either one still fits. As we read on through Matthew 24, I believe that the conditions in the passage cannot all be describing a post-tribulation coming of Jesus Christ. For the saved would know the number of his days until his coming if we were able to be here and to witness some of the events that were happening. And as we just read verses 37 through 41, we see the world here in a relaxed state. People who don't know God going on about their business, marrying and giving in marriage, and they don't have any idea what's coming until it's poured out. Well, the Bible tells us that during the tribulation period, the earth will be in a chaotic state of destruction, of hell on earth, of sometimes a third of the planet is going to die all at once. So they will have some idea that the conditions are bad before Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. So whether he's looking at the lost and saying in the day, the time period before all these events happen, you'll be going on about your business or whether he's talking about the rapture itself, either way sort of fits for the main point to say that before Jesus is coming, before the rapture, before he sets up his kingdom, the lost will have no idea it's coming. They will be unsuspecting and it will come out of nowhere without warning and will be upon them. Let's continue on in Matthew chapter 24. Hope I didn't lose too many people in the crowd there. That's okay. Verse 42, watch therefore. This is the point he's telling them. Watch, be ready for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Jesus looked to his disciples, to the Christians, and said in an hour that you're not expecting it, I'm going to come for you. Therefore we are to watch, we are to be ready, and live with the expectation that at any day and at any moment, Jesus could come for his church. Then he uses the illustration that the goodman of the house or the manager of the house, if, 
if the house was going to get robbed, he said, what does the thief do? He shows up when you're not expecting it. He said, if the thief would have taken the time to write the manager of the house and say, hey, Friday night at 3 a.m., I'm going to come rob you. Then he would have gotten up. He would have looked. He would have been maybe at ease. But at that exact moment, he would say, there he comes like he said. Right when he said, I'm going to stop him. He said, no, the thief is going to sneak in to steal from you when you're not looking. Then Jesus said, that's how you're supposed to watch for my coming. For that's how my coming is going to happen. As what? As a thief in the night. Therefore, we are supposed to live today, tomorrow, the rest of our life, knowing that Jesus may not come. We're supposed to build our life, plan for the future. But we should not be a part of the unsuspecting crowd, for we should be expecting. He could come today. He could come in this day and age and time period. It could happen at any moment. So the goal then when he comes is that we would not be shocked. We would not be taken by surprise but that we would be ready for him to come. And have been having living our life with that earnest expectation that Christ is coming again. But in the days of Noah, it was an unsuspecting crowd. And so too will it be when Jesus comes. Matthew 24 and verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Who? The one who was ready. The one who was prepared for his Lord to come again. But, and if, that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day... When he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here the Lord says to his servants that just like the, the manager of the household that went away and said, be ready, I can come back at any time. And he showed up on a specific day, at a specific hour, and they were not ready for him. He says, don't be caught that way. Be ready, be expecting and living with eternity in, in view and through the lens of the fact that I am coming again. And many will be seen to not actually be a true child of God at all and will have their portion appointed with the hypocrites and will be part of the judgment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, not because they lost their salvation, but because they were never truly saved in the first place. I wanted to read Matthew 25. I don't think I'll read this whole thing, but Matthew 25, 1 through 13 is such a good picture in parable form of what I believe that time period will be like. Jesus said that it's as if there were 10 virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to come. They were told, be ready. He's going to come. You don't know when he's going to come. Five of them that were wise had their lamps trimmed. They had oil. They were ready, and five had no oil for their lamps. Most all Bible commentators that you'll read on this passage will point out that oil is often a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So we believe that Jesus is using this illustration to say five of them were saved and five of them were not. Five were prepared for eternity. Five 
were not ready. We'll go ahead and read verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. If you've ever heard the song, the midnight cry, when Jesus comes again, it's taken directly from this passage of scripture where it says that the virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come, they all slumbered and slept. In other words, the saved and the unsaved will not really have a warning that it's about to happen and have time to get things in order. Rather, they're both just told the saved be serving God, be ready. The lost Get saved, repent, he's coming. One day it will be too late. And when the bridegroom came, it wasn't some type of announcement. Hey, he's going to come tomorrow morning. Go get ready. No, it was, they were all asleep and at midnight, he's here. It's time. It's too late to get ready. If you're not ready now. Then the text says, They arose and the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil so we can light our lamp. And they said, no, get your own. You knew you were supposed to be ready. And in like manner, it will be too late one day to look to a a loved one or a friend or a parent and say, you know, God, can that get me in? No, you have to be saved for yourself. God has no grandchildren. God has children. We have to come to him individually on our own and re- believe in him and receive him in order to have salvation. Verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut, evocative of the language of Noah and the ark. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, I say, but he answered and said, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. What's the point of the story? Verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh. Okay. So in this story, There were five wise and five foolish representing five lost and five saved. All of them were asleep and there was a cry made. He's come. Those who were saved went in to a marriage supper and the door was shut. I believe the Bible tells us that Christ will come again for his church. We will be pulled away to heaven. And while the tribulation period is happening, we will be at what Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then after that time period is over, there comes another time when the bridegroom comes. Not to take the bride, well, the story of the brides, but the bride of Christ. Jesus will come to take the bride to heaven. And after the supper, he will come again to where the lost people are. And then they will stand before him and will be judged. It's a parable. It's an illustration, but I believe it fits that timeline, how Jesus will call his church. We will go to the marriage supper of the lamb. Then after that time is over, Jesus will come again and face those who were lost and will pronounce judgment upon them. The point is in the days of Noah before the flood, even though they had a warning, they weren't ready. The rain started to fall. They were swept away. They were unprepared. So in like manner, That's going to happen to the world when Jesus comes, but it should not happen to us. One more passage here, Mark chapter 13. I'll read here very quickly. Mark chapter 13 and verse 31. 
I think that this one just says it so plain and so clear that Jesus wanted his disciples to know not just some distant age will you have a heads up I'm coming, but the exact day and hour when I come to get you, you're not going to know until I actually come. So you had better be ready. Mark 13 and all the way down to verse 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now this illustration one more time, verse 34. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. He left, he went away. He said to his servants, I'm going to be gone a long time, but I want you to watch for when I'm coming back. I won't tell you when, I'm just telling you that I am coming and you need to be ready. We know that that represents God, who is our Lord, that he's went back up to heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven and he's told us, his servants, watch and be ready. I'm coming again and you don't know the day or the hour. Verse 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So I don't believe that as the church, we're going to have a three and a half year or a seven year warning. Jesus is coming. I believe that he's going to come. What does verse 36 say? Suddenly. And when he comes suddenly, he doesn't want us to be sleeping spiritually and not be ready. Be watching, be serving, and be aware. No one knows the day or the hour. And by the way, anytime that you ever hear someone predict when Jesus is going to come back, then reject them as a Bible teacher. For the Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour. No one's going to know, not the angels of heaven, not Jesus himself while he was on earth, but only God the Father. And all throughout history, there have been people who have tried to look at the timeline and come up with some way of guessing Jesus is going to return now. And every time they're looking foolish because they're rejecting the clear teaching of the Bible that says we won't be able to know when that is. Matthew 24 says something about when the fig tree blossoms, you'll know that within that generation, all is going to come to pass. And some people said, well, sometimes the fig tree is an illustration of the nation of Israel. So that was a prophecy saying that when Israel become, became a nation again in 1948, there was only 70 years left and Jesus was going to come. But if you look in context, the verse is saying when you see all of these things happening, meaning the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, the end time events, when you see those things, then you know there's, only, there's less than one generation left and all is happening. It shows up. It's coming. And a man named Harold Camping tried, I believe, three separate times to say, I've done the math. I've looked at the signs. I've interpreted them. And Jesus is coming back in 2015, 2012, whenever it was. And every time it did not happen. And some people, the third time, held parties where they mocked and they said it's an end of the world party. And if he's right, then we'll get drunk and have debauchery because the end of the world is coming. And someone who tries to predict the date that Jesus is coming 
is worthy of mockery, for they are disobeying the word of God. However, remember as his church, the event itself should never be mocked. For Jesus promised it's going to happen. It's in the word of God. And second Peter said the scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning until now. And Peter reminds them through the illustration of the flood, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not forgotten about that he said he would come again. Remember, a thousand years with the Lord is as one day. And one day is a thousand years. He's long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, waiting so that more people may repent. And then one day when we're not looking or expecting, he will come. Number four. In the days of Noah, there was a preacher of righteousness. Second Peter 2 and verse number 5, we referenced last week, it says that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. I kind of got ahead of myself and spent a lot of time on this last week, so I won't do that now. But basically, God said, even in that day when the earth was so wicked, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was proclaiming the righteousness of God. And though sometimes the way the story's told is not all spelled out in the scripture, we believe by kind of putting it all together and reading through the lines that as Noah built the ark, he was proclaiming righteousness. He was saying to a whole world who was rejecting it, the rain's coming, get in the ark, God will spare you. And in the same way, God has left, God has left us, his church, in these last times. Why? Not for our own gratification, but for us to be a proclaimer of the righteousness of God, to say through the way we live our lives and through our very words, God is righteous. We are sinners, but if you will repent, receive him by faith, his righteousness can be placed to your account and you can escape the coming judgment. As Noah said, get in the ark, the rain's coming. We can say, get in Jesus Christ, the judgment is coming, but you will be spared if he has forgiven you and has covered you. The hope of the world is the gospel and God gave it to us. And as I said last week, sometimes we may feel like that Hollywood depiction of the old man with the long beard standing on the corner saying, the end is coming while everyone mocks us. But I always want to remember from this verse and the story of Noah that, well, how terrible is that? How discouraging Noah preached and none of the people outside of his family got on the ark. His preaching righteousness may not have gotten the world on the ark, but his whole family stepped into that ark and escaped the wrath. And may we ask God that for us, for our loved ones, for the ones in our care, as we proclaim his righteousness, even if no one else listens and believes, it can keep us right and it can keep our own right as we remember that the truth is not dependent upon how many people believe it, the truth is the truth, whether people believe it or not. The word of God has proclaimed it to be so. It will come to pass. We're on to the very last point now. As in the days of Noah, let me uh, recap all five of them for you real quick before we close. In the days of Noah, there were evil imaginations. There was a limit to God's long suffering. There was an unsuspecting crowd and there was a preacher of righteousness. Number five. God's grace shut his people in. Genesis chapter 6.
Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Old Testament was a rough time. They had to do animal sacrifices and keep the law and a whole lot of things. But the grace of God is still seen all throughout the Old Testament. And it's still the only way that a soul has ever been declared righteousness is by the grace of God through the faith of someone saying, I believe God and God choosing to give his grace and count it to them for righteousness as he did for Abraham and as he did for Noah. Chapter 7 and verse number 13. It says, In the same day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. Chapter 7 and verse 14. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. Then verse 16, and they that went in, and they went, they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And it goes on to say how the flood was upon the face of the earth. This verse tells us and gives us the picture that the time was drawing near. The crowds could see the animals are coming and getting onto the ark. Noah and his family, whoever was around there, whoever witnessed it, still chose not to get on. And the Bible says the Lord shut him in. The people who studied it and looked, you can do more reading than I have, but believe that this, this massive door that was so heavy, it wasn't just lifted up and closed by them or from someone from the outside, but God miraculously closed the door, shut in Noah and his family. And when God's people were safe, the wrath started to fall. In another place, in Luke, I think chapter 13, Right in the same time when Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He then pivots and says, as the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What happened? Same thing. Lot, who had lived there. Lot was a just man. He wasn't a good witness, but there was still an opportunity to believe. At the last minute, he told his sons-in-law, hey, God's going to destroy this place with fire. And they laughed at him. A lot of things can be considered. What we're considering in the ov overview, that when Jesus comes, there will be people who hear, the wrath is coming, they'll laugh, they won't believe, they'll be left behind and caught in the destruction. But Lot was their father-in-law, and apparently he had been a very poor witness for God. And when the day came that he needed to speak up and deliver them, he had zero credibility, and they thought he was simply making a joke. May God help us to live our life so that when we use our words to say, I'm a Christian, you need to believe in Jesus, people don't laugh at us because they've seen us live opposite of the way a Bible, the Bible says a Christian should live. Then what happened? The angels took them. They went outside of the city. And when they were safe, the wrath began to fall. Do you see the picture of what I believe the Bible says is going to happen? God's given opportunity. That opportunity will run out. And I believe God will rapture away his church, and then the wrath will begin to fall. I believe the end times, Jeremiah says, it's a day of Jacob's trouble, meaning Israel will go through persecution. 
and that those who do not know God will experience his wrath. But I believe that we are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. When the marriage supper of the Lamb is over, that's when God comes and faces the lost. But he had already taken the wise virgins who represent the church and shut them away into a secret place where no one else could come. Two verses on the screen and we're done. Revelation 3.10, Jesus said, because this is a letter written to the church, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I believe that the hour of temptation that's going to come all at once upon the entire earth is what the rest of the book of Revelation is about. But Jesus says to the church, I'm going to hide you from that hour of temptation. It's the same thing he did for Noah, the same thing he did for Lot. Isaiah 26, God says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall cover her slain. I don't know, but it seems a whole lot to me that the hour where the Lord comes out of his place and punishes the inhabitants of all the earth at the same time while simultaneously taking his people and covering them in a chamber so that they are safe from it is talking about those end time events. Unless it's talking about Israel, who he's going to call away for a little while into the wilderness and hide them from the Antichrist. And that's a whole nother discussion. We're out of time. Let's let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take these thoughts this morning and that when we look to these end time events that are interesting, no doubt, that we would remember there's a practicality to it as well. And that is we are to live each and every day expecting that you could come again. May we be the preacher of righteousness as Noah was in his day to stand with our shoulders straight and tall and say to the world, I believe God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Get in the ark. The rain's coming. Get in Jesus Christ. The judgment is coming. We believe your word is true. And may our hope be on you, not the things of this world, as they will shortly pass away. And may we believe in the doctrine of the second coming and allow it to be a purifying doctrine in our life. As Peter said, seeing then that these things shall be, what manner of persons ought we to be in all conversation and godliness? The music will play. Let's have a time of prayer for whatever the Lord has spoken to you about today, and then we'll be dismissed.